0: In the Lord, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evil doers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right, amen. We'll dismiss our school-age kids to the back. And while they're headed back there, if you brought a Bible with you, if you'd open it to the passage <clears throat> that Emily just read in Philippians chapter 3. And we've been in this uh, letter that Paul wrote to this new church <clears throat> that he had planted. And um, this is a unique uh, city, one of the first churches planted on the continent of Europe and uh crazy story how it got started as the power of god worked to deliver this uh slave woman from a demonic spirit that broke paul and silas uh, from the bonds of prison even and the philippian jailer was converted and then lydia a name you may have heard was a seller of purple cloth and well connected to other people and she was a seeker looking for god well Paul's path crossed in front of them. These people were converted. The church was born. Paul pastored there and planted that church. His missionary uh, calling took him to other places. And now he's in Rome, in prison, riding back to this little church. And... We've been walking through it for probably, I don't know, 10, 12 weeks, and we've been kind of really marinating on it. We're going to zoom up a little bit so and cover this whole chapter together, and, um, but there's, there's so much here that you could write entire sermons on, so I want to encourage you, if you're still doing the reading through the, 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 this little letter every morning, to continue to do that. So much richness, even in chapter 3 alone. Jesus was a master storyteller and he told this these three stories in Luke chapter 15 about a lost coin a lost sheep and a lost son and I feel like that's what Paul's ultimately like if Jesus would have taught that parable right before he explained it that Paul's going to take that idea of really the two brothers one searching for the meaning of life through keeping the rules and we see that he was just good at it and he kept all the rules and he wanted to please his dad and he felt like pleasing his dad was accomplished by keeping all the rules and the other brother the younger brother was one who said dad i've had it with all your rules i'm gonna go out and find the meaning of life all by myself Demanded, insulted his dad by demanding his inheritance, took all that money, went to a foreign land, he said he squandered the money by live by indulgent living. He just did whatever he wanted to until the money ran out. And after spending all of that money chasing all of these things that culture said would bring him satisfaction, in the end, he comes back empty-handed with no satisfaction and just a lot less money. And he comes back to his father, and he says, Father, if you would just let me be one of your slaves. And the father said, no, son, not a slave. You're a son. It's this beautiful picture of the gospel. How some try to earn the father's love through keeping the law. And others try to earn meaning in life through... Giving by running from God, really. And it's in this kind of setting that Paul's writing this letter. And both of those groups are in this church. And both of those groups are in this room today. And he's going to start with this idea of joy. Look in verse chapter 3 with me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that you would take your word, that you would make it come alive in our heart and our mind, that you would quicken it to us, that, Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction and encouragement just as only you can. Would you do a work in us that so when we leave today that we know you? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Paul starts with this idea of joy again, and it looks a little bit incongruent because he's going to start with this idea of joy. And he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in your life. To write these same things to you is no problem for me. He's already reminded them several times that they should have joy in the Lord, that they should rejoice in the Lord. It's one of the themes of the entire letter that Paul from prison, who has gone through probably the most uh, the, the craziest life that you could ever imagine as he was beaten uh, 39 times with whips, multiple times, and shipwrecked at sea. He's, tried to be, he's all, almost died several times. One time, theologians think he did die, and God raised him from the dead. He's been imprisoned. He's been betrayed. He's been left for dead. I mean, just so many. If you can imagine the worst life possible, Paul's lived it, and yet he's in prison. And he's saying, friends, I just wanted you to know that you can rejoice. Well, Paul, what what is, are you crazy, man? What is going on in your life? where you can have a day like that, a life like that, a month, a season. I mean, this old life was like that. But you still say that we can have real joy, that we can rejoice in the Lord. And following the rest of this chapter is his prescription for having joy in our life, no matter what life brings. He starts with this version of spirituality. That there's this version of spirituality, a counterfeit version of being connected to God, a dangerous version of what is called Christianity, and it kind of looks like Christianity, and it kind of smells like Christianity, and it's certainly not Christianity. It's rule keeping. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? If we did this collective thing, we're not going to do this, but I really want you to think about it. If I said, what does it it really mean to be a Christian? I'm going to get you to take out your connection, guys, and just write those things. What does it mean to be a Christian? A lot of us would immediately list all the rules that a Christian should follow, a list of things that they should do and a list of things that a Christian shouldn't do. And we've kind of got this thinking that if we keep that list, we're a pretty good dude. We're a pretty good Christian. But the problem with that, is that if you rebel against it or get frustrated in it, you don't really understand the heart of the Father. Maybe the most dangerous thing is for you to be able to do it well, for you to be able to keep the list, and you have pride in your very own strength, but that is not Christianity. 20-something years ago, I got married to Ashley, and if you asked... What what does it mean to be a good husband? I might could have made a list. She probably had a list of what it meant for me to be a good husband. You probably have a list of what does it mean to be a good husband. That he helps with the chores and takes out the trash and puts gas in the car and protects the family from wild animals or whatever's on the list. I don't know. Not many wild animals roaming bozier buys me good gifts but you know what when Ashley and i got married at a 2 p.m on a saturday we didn't immediately leave the ceremony and go to starbucks and make a list no we went to mexico well we really went to show uh, at first and stayed in a bed and breakfast mistake on honeymoon i'll tell you that and then And then and then we went to New Orleans. And then eventually we got on a cruise ship and we sailed for two days at sea. But eventually we landed in Mexico. And it was amazing. And when we got home, we went on dates and we hung out with each other and we went working out and running errands. It it wasn't about a list. It was about a relationship, and because I loved her and I wanted to please her, I did the things that a husband should do if it were a list that were created. Does that make sense? It was out of my heart connection of wanting to be a good husband and to please her. Because I was so in love with her, it changed the way that I lived. I didn't take out the trash because she pointed to some kind of list and says, hey, this is part of the agreement, bro. No, I wanted to do the things that pleased her. And I continue to do those things, although certainly not perfectly, but not because I'm bound, slavishly bound to some principles, but because I'm passionately in love with a person. Do you see the difference? And this is what Paul's fixing to compare two different understandings of what it means to walk with God, to be in relationship with God. The mission is not the list you keep. It's walking with Jesus. This is why the greatest threat to the Christians in this room is severing your connection of abiding with the Father. So he starts with this idea of, of joy, really the point of this chapter. The rest of us telling you how to find it. I love this C.S. Lewis quote. A Christian's duty is to be as happy as one, can, as one possibly can. And he starts in verse 2 with this warning. Be careful. These are people who are here to rob your joy. He says in verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out three times. This is the warning. Look out for the dogs. These people have come to rob you of your joy. Watch out for them. There were some people who had come into the church who wanted to add things to the gospel The, it's the gospel or jesus plus these things and if you do these in the right equation or the right order then god the father is just going to love you more than the rest of the people but you can identify a false gospel whenever they say jesus plus something else the gospel is jesus plus nothing So they made this list. It's Jesus plus ceremonial washing. It's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus the right ancestry. And Paul's a little hot. You can kind of hear it coming through. Uh, He's calling them names. He's not saying, man, that religious bunch. He's taking a chapter out of Jesus' book when Jesus called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. And he calls them dogs. This is not household pets. He's not saying, hey, you're a golden doodle. No, that's not what he's saying. He calls it dogs are wild animals and they fed on death and filth and the Jews the good Jews the pharisaical Jews used to call everyone who wasn't a Jew a dog because they were unclean oh you want to you want to judge people because they don't keep the ceremonial laws like you do you're calling us a dog? This is the first, uh, this Paul says, you know, I, I don't know if people still say that. I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say, bounce off me, six to you. Anybody still say that? That was just me at my elementary school. This is Paul saying that. Paul says, oh, you're calling, you're calling us dogs? You're the dog. And then he calls them evildoers. They think they're pleasing God, but they're really doing more harm. They're doing evil. It's such a dangerous thing when your spiritual leaders aren't walking with God. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for those evildoers. They think they're doing good, but they're causing way more harm than they possibly know. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. What these people are doing is they're coming into this new European church, this made up of of Greeks and Gentiles, almost no Jews. And they're saying, hey, you know what? When we really read the Old Testament, it says to really please God, you have to be circumcised. To trust Jesus and observe all these ceremonial laws, and the biggest one was circumcision. Now, if you're in here and you're a student, you don't know what that what circumcision is, ask Pastor Jason afterwards. He's gonna tell you, <clears throat> he's gonna tell you everything you need to know. This was a practice given by God. Circumcision was, when you look all the way back to the Old Testament, it was an external symbol of an inward commitment to be the people of God. The practice was replaced with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Paul would say that we've been circumcised in our hearts, and that's another sermon altogether. So these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh— You're trying to get people to cut themselves to prove their allegiance to God, and that's ridiculous. You are actually mutilators of the flesh. This was a phrase that would have been used for the people in pagan worship to appease their little G-gods. They would literally cut themselves and bleed on the altar. If you were a real faithful in such a cult, you would actually cut pieces of flesh or a digit of a finger, and you would lay it at this altar to this fake god so that you could prove to everyone else that i'm so serious about who i'm worshiping and paul says you know what you're doing bro you're a mutilator of the flesh you're no better than those pagans because you think allegiance to god is the gospel the death of jesus perfect life on a cross his death burial resurrection and coming ascension the gospel plus these other things That's ridiculous. Paul said, you're no faithful follower of Jesus. You're a mutilator of the flesh. And then Paul turns a corner and he reminds the church of their real Christian identity. What it means to be inwardly changed. He says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Look at three things. Not the fake things, not the ceremonial washing, not the Jewish ancestry, not the circumcision. His three things are worship, glory, and confidence. Look at that. That we worship by the Spirit of God. Like the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus comes, he's a religious leader, and he says, Jesus, how, how, how can I get... To heaven, how can I get the kingdom of heaven? How can I, how can I grasp it? How can I how can I get eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking very physically turned. He said, How can I crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, No, 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 no. No, you're born of the Spirit. You can just see a big gust of wind coming through, and Jesus says, Look at the wind. Nobody knows where it comes from or where it goes, but we feel the effects of it. So it is with the Spirit of God that we worship God by His Spirit inside of us. The next chapter in John chapter 4, Jesus is with the, with the woman at the well. And they're having this conversation, and she turns it to the religious things. Well, Jesus, do you really think that we have to worship in Jerusalem, in the temple of Jerusalem? And Jesus says, listen, there's coming a day. where you can worship Jesus anywhere you want to worship Jesus because you worship in the Spirit and the truth. This is what he says here. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. And friends, this is what it means to be part of God's family, to have been radically changed by the Spirit of God. It's not the external rules. It's not all the things, the do's and don'ts. Sure, we do those because of the relationship of the person, remember, but we don't do those in order to earn the affection. No, we, do, we worship by the Spirit of God. If, you, if you're to call yourself a Christian in this room, it's because there's been a time in your life where you stepped across the line of faith and you said, you know I'm not going to work for my salvation anymore. I'm not going to try to be good enough to earn it because there's no way to do it. Jesus, I am trusting in you. Salvation comes through you. And we pushed all our cards to the center of the table and we said, Jesus, we're all in for you that's salvation and we've fallen a lot and we've blown it a lot and we don't understand everything perfectly as a matter of fact we might understand less now than we thought we did at the beginning but it's not about what we know it's about who we know we worship by the spirit of god a couple of weeks ago we talked about this this idea this the, the, the hip hip array i don't know if you were there for that this idea of of intimacy and, and holiness and power and paul's just saying that in a different way right here This worship by the Spirit of God, this is the intimacy, this is that access we have, that we don't have to go to a priest so that he can go on our behalf to talk to God. We don't need a pastor or even our parents. We have access to the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God. We worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus. Glory is that word weightiness, the Hebrew word kavod. It means our worthiness. Our glory doesn't come from what we accomplish, Paul's reminding them. We don't glory in our effort as if we're building a ladder up to heaven. No, we glory in Christ Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is that new ethic that we would live not trying to earn God's approval, but because we are part of God's family in relationship with him, we would begin to take on the family traits. This is called sanctification or pursuing holiness. And then confidence. We worship by the Spirit of God, we glory in Christ Jesus, and we do not put confidence in the flesh. Hebrews 10 would say, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, our confidence is not in the flesh. See what Paul's doing? He said, we can have joy. Watch out for these people. They're preaching a false gospel that actually robs you of your joy. Remember, this is who you are. Worship by the Spirit of God, glory in the work of Jesus Christ, and take no confidence in the flesh. Knowing they're probably not convinced, he's going to go on to a second layer of argumentation in verse 4. He's going to use his own background as an example. He's going to say, you guys that are trying to earn salvation by being good, I can beat you at being good. Yeah, I mean you've done good, but I've I've done gooder. I've I'm I'm the goodest I'm I'm the best. Verse four, though I myself have reason to for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else think he has reason to confidence in the flesh, I got more. I beat you at that game circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, if you're playing this religious game of feeling more connected to God because you're keeping your little list, I kept it better than you. These people that have come in are Greek guys. They grew up not knowing him. They, inf- they, they they find the gospel somehow, whether they really believe it or not, and they're the ones that have altered the whole thing. And so Paul's going to say, listen, you think you're good, man. Hold my Coke. And he's going to walk through what he's done so much better than them. Circumcised on the eighth day. You guys are Greeks. You got circumcised as an adult. I was circumcised on the eighth day in step with the... Leviticus law the Levitical law in chapter 12 of the people of Israel he said I'm not pretending to be Jewish I am Jewish of the tribe of Benjamin during the captivity in Babylon most Jews Israelites they lost their uh ancestry they didn't know they didn't know where they were from but Paul didn't he said no 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 I know mine, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And not only am I from one of the twelve tribes and I know which tribe it is, it's the best tribe. I am from the beloved son of the beloved wife Rachel. I'm from the best tribe, dudes. The one that stuck with our King David through the difficulty. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's just saying I speak Hebrew and read Hebrew, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So these Greeks who are saying, hey, I know all about how to relate to God with all these rules because the, the Old Testament says so, Paul says, you can't even read it, man. I can read it. As, and then he, then he just turns in his upbringing. You, you kind of get what he's doing. He's layering these arguments. As to the law, as a Pharisee. The Pharisee would have been the most devoted, most religious, most pious of all the Hebrew leaders. They were the top of the top. It was a whole life commitment to be a Pharisee. It started with memorizing the Old Testament, the whole thing. Most of us in here don't even know how many books are in the Old Testament. It's hard for us even to find psalms. A Pharisee had them all memorized. They could quote them forward and backwards. As to the law, I was a Pharisee, man. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. Not only did I play varsity, Paul said I started varsity. And not only did I start varsity... I was MVP. I was really an NBA player playing on the varsity high school league. I was that good. Talk about zeal. I was a persecutor of the church. I literally killed people who disagreed with me. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I kept the law in such a way that only other people could dream about. If you go back, you notice there's seven lines of things that he did better than them. And the seven was the number of completion. And Paul's basically saying, I did the whole thing and I completed it all. And it still left me empty. If you could please God with works, Paul reminds him, I did it. But everything changed when I actually met Jesus. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He switches to accounting terms. A profit and loss statement. Everything I used to boast in, that used to be in the profit column, I'm now ashamed of. Those things are now in the loss column. But in the profit column is Christ and Christ alone. Here's what Paul's reminding us. When you fall in love you reorient your entire life. We said this a couple weeks ago because love makes you do crazy things. It's just true. I was thinking about how love changed my life so many times. When I met Ashley, it it changed everything. When our first child was born, when Claire was born, when Ellie was born, when Hudson was born, it changed everything. Because when you fall in love, you reorient your life. I remember when, when Claire was born and not being ready going into it, I told Ashley, Ashley, I ain't changing any diapers. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I got this gag thing. I'm going to throw up everywhere, throw up all of our new baby. It's going to be a scene. Just don't make me do it. I just can't do it. And then Claire sitting in the bed, just, I mean, uh, Ashley sitting in the bed, you know, had just given birth, and somebody needs to change Claire's diaper. And I had no idea what I was doing. I thought I was going to break her. And I, the smell I wasn't ready for, I was just like, oh, I'm going to need some real help on this. I called the nurse a couple times, called the nurse a couple times. They didn't answer. They probably knew what was going on. They like, this happens all the time, the, you know. Changed change Claire's diaper. It wasn't just that. We brought Claire home, and my entire life changed. People would call and be like, hey, Luke, you want to you go shoot hoops? No, man. I got Claire Bear at the house. you want to come out with us for dinner no 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 man i got got claire at the house when you fall in love you, you you reorient everything around around this this new love of yours you reorient your life around that which you love not that which you believe and this is the big difference in christianity in the west because we say we believe all those things, but our love has not changed. You reorient your life around love. And when they move you on that level of affection, you reorient your life around it. Well, if, if that's true, look, then why do we do all this religious activity? Because it gives us confidence in the flesh. I do things to prove to myself and others that I have what it takes. I was talking to a friend about that just this week who has a family member on this cycle. They're so disciplined and so religious for a season. I mean, a long season. Abstaining from eating this and always going here and saying these prayers until they fail, until they sin. Then they wallow in shame and self-pity because they've constructed a relationship with God that is built on works and has no room for grace, not even grace for themselves friends, if that's your understanding of relating to God, you have missed the gospel. It is not about earning. It's by grace through faith. So many people filling our churches have this mentality that I've got to please God with what I do. They've got no grace in their story. Without grace, Christianity is is miserable. This is what true Christianity is. This is what Paul says, anything that I used to boast in is now rubbish. For some of us, it's religion. That we boasted in keeping the right rules and observing the boundary markers and knowing when to stand and shake and who to call brother and who not, that that whole bit. For others, it's your looks. It's your external beauty. And you've, you've always been able to get through life because of your looks and you boasted in that and now you're Maybe coming to the understanding that gravity wins all the time. Or it's your smarts, maybe you're intelligent, maybe your strength, maybe your business acumen, maybe it's your status, maybe what other people think of you. That matters so much. For some of you, it's your kids. You feel important in worth when your kids succeed and so you put so much pressure on them and you're not really sure why, but it's because you're deriving your own worth from their success at school or dance or ball or whatever it is. Having the right friends, getting invited to the right parties. And Paul is yelling from the rooftop. Friends, all of that is worthless when it comes to your identity. Remember chapter 2, we talked about this glory deficit that is in all of us. It was caused by sin. We were made in this image of God and his fingerprints and glory all over us and sin came and wrecked that image like a mirror that is broken and shattered. And immediately in the creation account, do you remember what Adam and Eve did? The first humans, they hid their imperfections. They literally hid from God. They covered their imperfections with fig leaves. And when God did find them, You know, this is like them hiding in front of God. They blamed each other and Satan. This is the glory deficit in all of us. And we're all running to something to fill that up, to patch it up. And Paul says, just stop it, friends. It's just not worth it all those things i used to count as profitable i now count those things as rubbish when compared to christ the status the education the zeal the intelligence not that all of those were bad i mean the killing of the christian part certainly was was a bad thing but they're rubbish compared to knowing tri- knowing christ and he uses this word he uses this word rubbish Gubilon. you know just like we have a word the word poop and then there's a little bit more crass word for excrement And then there's a much more crass word for excrement. Paul's using that word in the Bible. He's saying everything I chase after, Scubulon. compared to knowing Christ. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this. You might circle the this and come back to that. Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is such a beautiful verse. This he's talking about here is an intimate relationship with Jesus. Not that I've already obtained it perfectly, not that not that I hear him every time he speaks, and not that I feel that my my identity is perfectly rooted in him as it should be, but there are glimpses of it, he says, not that I've already obtained it perfectly. But I press on to make it my own. This is what I'm striving after. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Why? Because he has made me his own. I want to pursue Christ at the same intensity that he pursued me and made me his own. I haven't mastered it yet, he would say, but I am closer than I've ever been. Spends the rest of the chapter telling us how to do this. How to continue walking joy. This was the warning. Don't boast in the flesh. Don't try to earn salvation. Don't get your confidence from how you perform. We rest on grace. Verse 13. Second part of verse 13. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Several months ago, we had our my buddy Irvin come in and preach this passage. You can go back and look at that. We're involved in so many things that we 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 neglect the main thing. Straining forward is this athletic term. It's really an Olympic term. Have you ever seen those runners? especially those on track and they're running around and they are just giving it all they got and they make the last turn and they are headed to that finish line and they do everything they can and then they get to the very finish line and they just lunge forward that they might win by just the hair on their nose that's straining that's that's the picture he uses here he says this one thing forgetting what lies behind all the mess in my past and all the all the bad stuff and all the things i went after i don't i don't i forget those things I don't let the enemy bring those back up and cause shame and guilt in my life right now. No, no, no. I I gave those. Those are for the cross. Forgetting what lies behind. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I told you several years ago the things I want for my kids and the things I want more for my kids and the things I want most for my kids. And what I want most for my kids... Is for them to know the love of Jesus. More than success, more than going to the right college, more than finding the right mate, more than more than any of my, any of their even earthly dreams of being a mom or a dad. Or what, I, I, I want all those things for my kids, but you know what? I'm most for them is for them to know the love of Jesus. Paul says, "I want to know the love of Jesus." Even, even if it takes suffering and persecution and death. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 15, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, if you think otherwise, then God's going to reveal it to you. Only let us hold to what we've attained. This is great. I love Paul saying this. Even if you're not convinced, just kept pre- keep pressing into Jesus and he'll convince you. Even if you hadn't, even hadn't taken it all in, just, I dare you, just take a step towards Jesus. Just start abiding in his love and watch everything else, all your doubts, all your arguments against God, all your confusions, even with it, they're just going to melt away in the love of God. Has, Has this ever happened to you? I remember when I was in seminary and I was, I was, I was the educated one in seminary. I'm reading all these commentaries and I mean we we had to read 1500 books before I graduated seminary that was kind of the rule you didn't get your degree until you read 1500 books that's a lot of books about theology and I was reading I was struggling and the first time I was uh, introduced to reformed theology and predestination and I was reading those texts and I was like wait Predestined and chosen, and then I'd flip over and read John three sixteen, where it says that God loved the whole world. And I was like, God, what is it, man? Do you love the whole world or just part of the world? What's what's what? And I was just, I was wrestling, and I was wrestling, and I was wrestling, and I was miserable, and I was a grump to be around, and I was just trying to figure it out. God, I got to figure out who you are. After a year of striving, and I just came to the breaking point. I remember just sitting in my little office at the house that we had in cedar hill and i just says god i don't understand would you help me understand who you are i hate that it waited a year for me to even ask him that i got so caught up with the love of god in that little office in that room i did not even know what the questions were anymore the, the encounter with the love of god made me forget the questions feel like the story i told you last week of hudson i I was the ant. i didn't understand all the tension and anxious kind of melted away and i try to have that kind of moment every morning now lord jesus i'm here would you speak to me I got all kind of worries and frustrations in my day. And I don't know how this is going to go and that's going to go. And I don't know why you allowed that and you didn't heal that person. And I just, I don't understand. I wanted some more. I wanted another decade with my dad and you didn't give me that. And we prayed for it and you didn't give it. And I prayed and asked for this and you didn't give it. I don't understand and It makes me just a little bit angry and kind of full of angst. and, And I just come into his presence. And you know what? All that stuff just melts away again and again. the application verse 13 we have to focus on abiding we got to focus on abiding it's more important than you're serving here at the church it's more important than even the job that you have you got to focus on abiding this is what jesus says in john 15:9 as he's about to die and leave the church to these moron disciples you know what he says As the Father has loved me, so I love you. John 59, you should memorize this. Abide in my love. So much of us, so many things we would figure out, so much hatred we let go, so much forgiveness would be birthed in us if we would just go and abide in his love. Second point of application is to walk with those who know Jesus. Look at verse 17. Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you had in us. The abiding is a bit ethereal. It's a bit, it's hard to put your finger on. And so Paul says, you know, let me just get a little more practice for you. Let me just practical for you. Follow those people who do that. Find people who know how to abide with Jesus and surround your life with them. They can't be the only relationships in your life. You still got to go to work. You still got to do the other things. You you still got all the things. But surround yourself with people who walk with Jesus, who abide with Jesus, who know Jesus. Your path follows your gaze. What's that uh, Andy Stanley quote? Direction, not intention, determines your destination. Direction, the way you're going the people you're following, the people you've surrounded yourself. You want to know Jesus at a more intimate level? You want to walk in wisdom? You want to see the power of God at work in and through every aspect of your life? Then intentionally surround yourself with people who are pursuing this very thing. Invite them to speak into your blind spots. Ask them what God's showing them. Talk about the the, the Word of God with them. Those people really abiding with Jesus, they just leak the love of God all all over anybody that gets around them. Even them, they're probably, they're probably so courteous and so kind, they're not just going to start blowing you up for your, all your blind spots. You've got to ask them, hey, graciously, you see some things in my life that maybe some sin or some things that I'm I'm following out, not even the sin, but the things that are just entangling me. We talked about the soldier a couple of weeks ago. This, this DG strategy for us, this discipleship group, this is not just a clever strategy. This is what Scripture says. Surround yourself with people who are pursuing God together. I will tell you that, that, that that's what the enemy's coming after, is those relationships. He does not want you around people who have the power of God because they're abiding with Him. He does not want you around them. You have every excuse you've ever had in your life not to have real conversations like this. You'll keep things on the surface. You'll talk about the LSU win last night. And I'm, I'm excited for the win. And I stayed up and watched it. You'll, you'll talk about sports. You'll talk about inflation. You'll talk about stock market. You'll talk about business. You'll, ta- you'll talk about, you'll talk about your, even your family. You'll talk, you'll talk about everything else but what's really going on in your soul. Why? Because the enemy knows. If you start bra- dragging that stuff into the light, you're going to get some freedom, man. If you start really confessing and repenting, your whole life's going to change. So he's going to come up with every excuse why you cannot make those relationships important in your life. And he's already doing it. Thirdly, set your mind on things above. We're going to focus on abiding. It's going to be the first thing on our list. We're going to focus on abiding. We're going to sit in the love of God. We're going to let the love of Jesus wash all over us. We're going to walk with those people who know Jesus. And then thirdly, we're going to we're gonna have to continually set our mind on things above. At the very uh, end of the chapter, he tells about these other people who don't do that. This is kind of, he goes back into, into a warning. He says in verse 18, For many of whom I've often told you now tell you with tears. He tells them with tears because they used to be part of the body. They used to be in the church. These are people that Paul went and did their funerals. These are people that Paul baptized, likely. But now they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. See how he contrasted the two? These people, they don't know what they're doing. Their mind is set on earthly things. They really think if they can just build the bank account and get the next house and the next promotion. They're living for the new car. They're living for the sports team to win. They're they're living for all those things. But not us. They set their mind on earthly things. Then he says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. We're being transformed a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. What does Corinthians say? One degree of glory to the next. And we're just a little bit, a little sandpaper here, just a little bit. Getting, but he says there's coming a day, in verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even subject to, even to subject all things to himself i'm gonna invite the band up friends this is the beauty of our weekly gathering i know culture is trying to push it out and everything else is trying to push this weekly gathering out and that's listen to me it is not about just doing all these things so that we can, so I can feel good going home today and say, man, we filled up a gymnasium. It, it is not about that. Chaz and our our cargo crew, they they, they, don't, they don't get here at, at 6.45, 7 o'clock in the morning to unload the trailers and set up all these things and set up 10 kids' classrooms and turn the vortex air on, whatever we do. We do all, we do all these things and we're pulling trailers and we're, we're cleaning up and we're setting up. I mean, there's so much work. They do not do all of those things so that I can go home feeling good. Man, we had 200 in worship today. We had 300 in worship. Now, you know why they do all that? You know why we've done all of this today? So we can come and gather together and sing these great anthems of the beauty of the gospel back to the God who gave it to us. And in doing so, it's going to lift our eyes up. As the psalmist says, I I look to the hills where my help comes from. I read in Psalms 3 this morning, it says, You, O Lord, are our shield. You're the lifter of our heads. We can't even lift our own heads. But we come into the presence of God and he does it for us. Look up here, Luke. Just get a good glimpse of who I am. This is the beauty of communion that we're going to come and take communion here in a few minutes, and we're going to remember that we didn't do anything to earn this. While we were were still enemies with God, He came to save us. While we were still dead in our sins. I've never seen a dead person do anything but just be dead. While we were dead in our sins. This is when the beauty of Christ the beauty of the gospel came in to raise us up from the dead. Isn't that amazing? We're going to have communion service here. And I want you to come when you're ready. I'm going to ask you three questions just to kind of set, set your tone. If you could just go ahead and just close your eyes, just right where you're at. And maybe you don't pray like that. Maybe you pray standing up. Then go stand up in the back if you need to do that. But I, I want you to connect with God. I want you to think about your life. And I want you to ask yourself these three questions first. Where is your confidence? Is it in your works? Is it in how well you're resisting sin? Do you have a week where you blew it and you come groveling back to God and say, God, I know you don't want me to be my savior. I just I sinned again. As if your relationship with him is built on your works? Or is it built on grace? Where's your confidence? Second, where's the gaze of your soul? What are you really, what are you really pursuing? Beyond all the answers and all all the things, the, the truest in your heart and in your mind, where is the gaze of your soul? What are you reaching after? What are you going after? Thirdly, do you, do you know Jesus like Paul knows Jesus? Are you rearranging your entire life around the person of Jesus? Do you do you pray every morning, Lord, disrupt my entire schedule if need be today, so I can reorient my entire life around walking with you? And I'm not saying you don't, you don't have to go to work or the kids don't have to go to school. You can do those things and still have Jesus at the very center. Give the Holy Spirit some room to work. Maybe you can pray the prayer that David prayed. Maybe you can just invite God to examine your heart. Lord, would you search our hearts? Would you find if there's any hidden, hidden sin in there? Would you find if we've been doing all this to try to build a ladder up to you to make you proud? Some in this room have got such lofty arguments about against your work. They can't. They they say all the right things, but they they've never had this real encounter with you. Jesus, would you would you just come and rest on us? We invite you into our families to work. We invite you into our work relationships and to our secular ambition we 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 invite you there we want you to be lord there we invite you into our relationship with our with our in-laws and with our neighbors holy spirit would you reign there we invite you into our shame and our guilt and our wounds from the past that keep rearing their ugly heads and we ask you jesus would you come and sit with us there would you come heal those things Jesus, we love you. I just thank you for the just the beauty of the gospel. That you're a good father that loves me, that loves us and bestows your grace upon us. There may not have been a worse sinner than Paul. And you rescued him. And you redeemed him. As we sang a minute ago, you, you pulled him right out of that grave. So as we take communion in a minute, as we hear from you, Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Bring conviction where we need it. Bring encouragement where we need it. Some of us are so weary because we're one of the only ones in our, in our jobs or in our schools that are really standing for you, and it gets, it gets wearisome sometimes. And so, Lord, we just want you to just to, just to renew the, the strength of our, of our legs and of our efforts so we can keep doing this for you, that you would give us the wisdom to know what decisions to make, Lord, I pray it would be said of us in this room that we worship by the Spirit of God and we gloried in the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we put confidence, not in ourselves, but in Him. Jesus, it's in your mighty name we pray, amen. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. Spend as much time here praying as you need to. Our communion tables are open. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but you do have to be part of God's family. So if you want to take that step, you're certainly welcome to do it. They'll be open. What I want more than anything else is for you to do business with God today. Listen to what he says. What's he leading is your next step. What's he saying? Follow him in obedience. Prayer team will be in the back if you want to pray with someone. Do what he puts on your heart.